0: Welcome to the Daily in Christ podcast. I'm your teacher, Mark Van Oos, and we're in the midst of a great series called Living in the Reality of Perfect Sanctification. Now, I say it's a great series. It's not because of me, but because of this glorious truth in the Word of God. We are sanctified because of Jesus Christ, and we are perfectly and completely sanctified right now. First of all, by way of review, Sanctification refers to being made holy, being set apart from the profane and the common and set apart unto God. Oh, this is such a great and powerful truth to realize that we belong to the Lord. And that happened the moment we were born again. We were not only brought into perfect justification, but we are brought into perfect sanctification as well. In a part two of our series, we talked about living in the reality of perfect sanctification, and uh, boy, what a powerful and uh, life changing truth that is! And that one of the most important verses in all the Bible about sanctification is found at First 1 Corinthians one twenty eight, that says, "Of God are you in Christ, who has been made unto us wisdom from God, and." righteousness, and sanctification and redemption, 1 Corinthians one twenty eight. We also found out that perfect sanctification, like everything else given to us in this great salvation, is entirely based on the finished perfect work of Jesus Christ. But there are many verses in the New Testament that make it abundantly clear that our sanctification is perfect and complete already done. And it's all so because of the perfection of the person and work of Jesus Christ. We also found out that this is who we really are. Not who we will be or who we will become, but we stand right now perfectly, totally, and completely sanctified in Christ. In part three, we talked about living in the reality of perfect sanctification right now. And um, we brought a challenge and a word of clarification about uh, the matter of sanctification, we talk more about the fact that we have perfect sanctification now, because of the perfection of Jesus and His finished work, and that we have that perfect sanctification just like we have perfect justification. Most people, uh, Bible-believing Christians, understand that we have complete and perfect sanctification, or rather justification. You can't add to it, but they fail to realize that just like the basis of perfect justification is the perfect finished work of jesus christ so it is for our sanctification it is now perfect complete nothing needs to be added to it it is all walking according to our perfect sanctification and not walking to become perfectly sanctified that's tremendously important and we spent quite a bit of time talking about first corinthians 6 9 to 20 paul's addressing all kinds of sin and immorality in the corinthian church and his appeal to them is on the basis of who they really are in christ in our last uh, installment of this series we talked about an extreme danger and this that installment dealt head-on with the extreme danger of thinking that you as one in Christ, are bad, or a part of you is bad, Um, like you have a sinful nature. This is proven to be false on scriptural grounds, and we talked about why it's so dangerous to think that either you or part of you is bad, and why the idea that our sanctification is somehow imperfect in this life is actually patently unbiblical. Westminster Catechism teaches that, and that contradicts Clear biblical teaching. Why the idea that there abides still some remnants of corruption in every part, as the Westminster Confession says, is patently unbiblical. Why the idea that a Christian struggles with a continual and irreconcilable war, the flesh lusting against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, as it says in Westminster, is patently unbiblical. And then we spent, at the end of the podcast last time, debunking the myth of the Christian sinner. Well, I think, if you haven't gotten it already, the point we're trying to make is you are, if you're born again in the Lord Jesus Christ through the grace of God, you are perfectly and completely sanctified, and you're living in that reality. Now, a lot of Christians have uh, redefined sanctification to mean walking uh in such a way that you're not sinning as much anymore in other words it's it's talking about it addresses the sinful things we do and and how we can overcome sin but that is not what sanctification is all about but i realize that still there is this question okay uh, all right, I I take the idea that uh, we are sanctified and we're saints and we're not sinners. Biblically, we can see that. But why do I do the sinful things that I do? Why do I, a born-again child of God, a Christian, still do the sinful things I do? (laughs) Well, that is a very, very good question, and we're going to look a lot more carefully in this thing. And first of all, I want to deal with a very important issue, and that is the question, do Christians still have a sinful nature? You know, it is commonly taught today that Christians still have a so-called sinful nature. But I want to immediately prove from the Scripture that that is actually false. That is a wrong teaching, and in fact, it is a dangerous teaching that actually fuels sin and doesn't bring Christians into the victorious life. Let me start off by saying emphatically that a truly born again person in Christ does not have a sinful nature. The Bible does not teach that anywhere. That is a doctrine of man. It is a doctrine from hell, and it is patently wrong. 2 Corinthians 5.17 is abundantly clear. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Now, friends, why would in all things becoming new, would there still be a sinful nature? Think about that. You see the Bible teaches that sinners and again we made the point that Christians are nowhere called sinners in the Bible nowhere you won't find it once sinners are those who are unredeemed they are those before salvation those who are in Adam and not in Christ and in fact the Bible teaches that sinners have a sinful nature that makes sense Let me make some take some time and just bring some clarifying points so that you understand what we're trying to say. The first point I want to say is that a sinful nature is evil. Ephesians two three speaks of those before Christ, sinners, that they were by nature children of wrath. It describes us before we were born again as being. We were, past tense, by nature children of wrath. So the nature of the sinner, a sinful nature, incurs the wrath of God. The sinful nature is the nature of the old man, a sinner. The old man, the old sinner, you, the Bible teaches, died with Christ because you have been united with Christ in his death. This is the principal teaching of Romans chapter 6, particularly verse 6. And that sinful nature, that sinner, that old man, it all died in Christ. The sinful nature died with the old man, the old sinner you. The sinful nature has been circumcised, cut off from us. Colossians 2.11 The second point I want to make by way of clarification is that the flesh is neutral. Flesh in the Bible refers to your humanity, your human senses, your human mind, and your human ability. The flesh is neither good nor bad. However, the flesh is subject to corruption and mortality. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 50 to 54. So it's very important to understand that flesh itself is neutral. Now, I want to uh, bring an important clarifying point because the if you are reading the NIV, the New International Version, uh, the translators of that Bible have made a very serious error in translation. They translate the Greek word sarx, which means flesh, to mean sinful nature. And so uh, all the references or all the uh, translations of the word sarks in the NIV, uh, they render it, instead of rendering it flesh, They render it sinful nature. So you would see things that would make it seem that a Christian has a sinful nature. If you're reading the NIV, please understand, I'm not attacking the NIV. I think it's a very good translation. However, virtually every other major translation, the King James, the New King James, the Revised Standard Version, the New American Standard, the English Standard Version, the Amplified, uh, I could go on and on. Young's Literal Translation, Darby's, all of those translate the Greek word "sarks" as flesh. And only the NIV translates it, the sinful nature. So if you're reading the NIV and you're reading in Romans 6, 7, and 8, everywhere where you see sinful nature, cross it out and put in the word flesh. Remember, please, that flesh is neutral. It refers to your humanity. Now, what is sinful is walking by the flesh, by means of your flesh. In other words, walking by means of your humanity, of your human senses, your human mind, and your human ability. That is sinful. Now, victory happens when we walk according to the Spirit. Galatians 5.16 Walking by the Spirit involves walking according to God's Word, not my puny brain. Walking by God's ability, not my failing body. Walking by God's revelation, not by my incredibly short-sighted senses. That's walking according to the Spirit and walking in true victory. Now, what's the big deal? We've been talking about why there is, there is not a sinful nature in a Christian. Why are we making such a big fuss about that? Well, I'll tell you what the big deal is. Everything. You see, if I believe that I am partially evil, that there's a sinful part of me, then logically, I must believe that I have to fight against myself in order to deal with sinning. Let me ask you a question. Who wants to battle against himself? (laughs) You see, that's why it's so important to have this matter clarified. You know, friend, a sinner That is a person biblically defined as one who is unsaved, who's under the wrath of God, who are by by nature an object of wrath. A sinner sins because it's their nature to do so. Why does a bird fly? It's their nature to fly. Why does a dog bark? It's his nature to bark. Why does a fish swim? It's the nature of the fish to swim. Why does a sinner sin? It's their nature to sin. You see, a sinner sins because what is inside them is wrong. They sin because they have a sinful nature. They sin because it's natural to do. That's why they are children of God's wrath. Now, a saint, one who is in Christ, one who is perfectly sanctified by the perfect work of Jesus Christ, a saint sins contrary to their holy nature because they are deceived. Let me say that again, a saint sins contrary to their holy nature given by God because they are deceived. You see, a saint sins because something outside of them is wrong. There is a devil who is a tempter and deceiver. There is the world and the course of this world that is driven by Satan, the prince of the power of the air, Ephesians two. 2. You see, a Christian has the holy nature of a saint, and they are a partaker of the divine nature. A saint sins contrary to their new nature, and again, they sin because they are deceived. I think we can really underestimate the power of, a, of deception, and it can be very powerful indeed. Let me use an example to illustrate this. Let's say that you and I are in a coffee shop, downtown right in the noon hour and it's busy and people are enjoying the nice day and uh, we're having a great time enjoying the coffee and the conversation and suddenly out of nowhere this crazy man burst through the front door of the restaurant and he is screaming yelling threatenings and obscenities and he's waving this machine gun around and he's threatening to kill us let me ask you a question How do you feel in a moment like that? (laughs) I I know how I would feel. I'll tell you what, my heart rate would go through the roof. Uh, I would probably hit the deck if I possibly could. It's called fight or flight. Now, let's say in the next moment, the door opened quickly and in walked calmly. An officer of the law, a policeman, and he looked at the man and he grabbed the gun and he said, Ladies and gentlemen, it's all right. This... Squirt, squirt, squirt is a squirt gun. Now, how do you feel? <laughs> well, after getting over the embarrassment, I think we would all feel relieved. Now, let me ask you a question. Were you ever in danger? No. Because there was no threat, no real threat. But you thought you were in danger. You were deceived. And reacting to the deception, your body acted just like you were about to die. Your heart rate went way up. Your blood pressure went up. You perspired. Everything in your body physiologically was saying, I've got to fight or I have to run. I am going to die. And yet, even though you, your mind and your body reacted fully as if the threat was real, you were deceived. There never was a danger. My friend, that is exactly what happens with us. Just because you're born again doesn't mean your brain and your thinking is right. It says in Romans 12 two, to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The issue with a with a Christian is a is the problem of the mind. Oh, friend, it is so important that you get this. I can't even begin to, to tell you how critically important it is to understand that the problem that we have as a Christian, the reason why we sin, it's not because we have a sinful nature. That's unbiblical. It's because we have a problem with our mind. You see, the issue with the Christian, and, and I mentioned a moment ago, Romans twelve two to not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, this means that our mind needs to be renewed. That means that there are old ways of thinking. There's sinner thinking, not saint thinking. It's works-based, not grace-based. In Colossians chapter 3, it speaks about the fact that we have died in Christ. And then it goes on, and it talks about uh, just several different things where we need to uh, have attitudes where we're putting off an attitude that's corresponding with the sinful man. And, and people think that there still is a sinful nature. It doesn't mean to take off uh, an old nature. You don't have the old nature. That died with Christ. But what you need to do is to put off these things like it says in verse 8 colossians 3 8 anger wrath malice slander and abusive speech from your mouth not to lie to one another it says since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him you see the problem is the attitude of the mind And it's right at that point that Satan goes after you, dear Christian. By way of deception, please understand that we deal with an active agent, a deceiver, the father of lies, Satan, who tries to infiltrate your mind. Let me ask you this question back in Genesis chapter 3 in the garden, Adam and Eve. No sin, no problems. God said you can enjoy everything. They they walked with God face to face. Uh, it was incredible. Let me ask you, how did they sin? Did they have a sinful nature? No. They sinned because they were deceived. And I'm going to say that the epicenter of the deception from Satan was an attack, not on them, but on God himself. You see, if you look in Genesis chapter three, verse right there at the beginning, Satan comes up and says to them, did God really say? He says, did he really say you shouldn't eat of every tree in the garden? My goodness, God said the exact opposite. He said freely enjoy all of the trees. The only one he said not to eat was the one that would create disaster. God wouldn't be loving if he didn't prohibit that one tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And yet Satan immediately comes in, he attacks the integrity of God, the goodness of God, the truthfulness of God. Did God really say you shouldn't eat of any tree of the garden? Satan came along and gave them a thought they never had before, that God must be bad, that God mustn't be true that God mustn't be good. My, that must have absolutely thrown them off. And then Satan goes in for the kill. Genesis chapter 3, verse 5, he says, You will not surely die, for in the day you eat of it. God knows that your eyes are going to be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You see, it's as if you don't have something. God is depriving you of something. God deprived them of nothing. There is an active agent called Satan, my friend, and you do have to deal with them. That is the point of difficulty. Please don't think I'm blaming just the devil. I just made the point earlier that you're dealing with three external problems the devil, the world, And you're dealing with your own situation of trying to walk by your flesh. That's what Satan's trying to do. Satan's trying to get you to walk in a way that, well, first of all, he's going to get you to have a sin consciousness. And here's what I mean by this. Things like believing that I am a sinner. Or believing that every part of me is corrupt to some degree. Or believing that sanctification is imperfect in this life. Or believing that I will never be completely holy until I die. Or believing that I have a deceitful, wicked heart. Or believing that sin is inevitable. Or the lie, I will struggle with sin until the day I die. Or the lie, I have to confess each and every sin so that God will forgive me and cleanse me from all unrighteousness every single time I sin. Or, you see what I'm saying? That's a sin consciousness. At every point, I'm a sinner. There's a part of me that's uh, uh, wicked, that's a sinful nature. Sin is inevitable. I'm going to struggle with sin. Sin, 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 sin. No wonder we struggle with it. And such a sin consciousness makes us an easy prey for Satan. You know, a sin consciousness is not is the result of not knowing about or understanding Christ's perfect, finished sacrifice and work. Hebrews ten one to four. 2 Corinthians ten five speaks of arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. That's what Satan does. Satan tries to bring an argument to your mind. He tries to bring this This uh, high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God that says, well, my knowledge is superior to God's knowledge. Friend, do you understand what I'm saying here? It's this idea that, well, my experience doesn't say that's true. And I mentioned this before in this series right at the beginning where we... We create theologies based on our experience. We invalidate what the clear teaching of the Word of God is because we think, well, somehow it mustn't be that way because I'm not experiencing that in my life. Dear friend, that is something that is exalting itself against the knowledge of God, it is trumping the knowledge of God. We must not do that. Let me say this it is not natural for a saint to sin. It is natural for a saint to walk in faith dependence on Christ for all. Oh, please, friend, do get this. Do get this. Do understand that a saint sins contrary to their holy nature. And and here's what's going on. It's because the saint is trying to live under law and not under grace. Now, I'm turning a corner here, but this is critical and we've got to cover this. Let me say this again. A saint sins contrary to their holy nature because they are trying to live under law and not living by faith under grace i want to bring to your attention exhibit a romans six fourteen makes this very clear declaration listen carefully for sin shall not have dominion over you for you are not under law but under grace Sin shall not have dominion over you. And dominion, the Greek word is kurios, meaning Lord or lordship. Sin shall not be your Lord. And here's the reason why. For you are not under law. The Greek word for not is the absolute negation. Literally means for you are absolutely not under law. In fact, the more literal translation would be this. You do not exist under law, but under grace. You know, people hear me say, or the Bible, people talk about the biblical teaching about this, and they go, whoa, hold on a second. Did you just say that we're not under law? And I go, no, I didn't say that. The Bible says that in many places. And they think that if someone is not under law, then they're not under anything. Well, that's nonsense. Nonsense. They are under grace. You are under grace. One who is in Christ is under grace. That is why sin shall not have lordship, control, uh, dictatorship over you. Because if you are born again in the Lord Jesus Christ by the grace of God, you absolutely do not exist under law. You exist under Christ. You are under grace. That's what the Bible says. Now, contrarywise, when a person tries to live under law sin tries to take dominion it's true if you think you're under law what's going to happen is sin is going to become agitated you see if you try to live under law so there are a lot of people who try to live under law christians born again christians because they think think they are still under law and they're ignorant of the of the reality that they are under grace. They do not know the reality of Romans 6.14. They also don't know that 1 Corinthians 15.56 says that the power of sin is the law. And trying to live under law puts us under a yoke of bondage galatians 5 1 trying to live under law causes sin to revive romans 7 9 trying to live under law causes us not to do the good thing we want to do according to our new uh, holy nature but to do the thing we don't want to do romans 7 verses 5 and 19 15 and 19 trying to live under law causes the offense the sin to abound romans five twenty. Again, let's go back to uh, Adam and Eve. How did they sin? They didn't have a sinful nature. They didn't even have a sin consciousness. They sinned because of an outside influence—Satan and his deception and his temptation—and they bought the lie. You see, there was a great deception that they faced in the in the garden. I mentioned this a moment ago. The deception was, well, you can't eat. Freely from every garden tree in the garden. Now, God said of every tree of the garden, you may freely eat. Satan comes in and says, you can't eat from every tree in the garden. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, God is so good. He said to Adam and Eve, I'm going to put you in a place called pleasure. You know, that's what Hebrew the Hebrew meaning is for Eden. Pleasure. And you can enjoy Everything that's here freely eats. Satan comes along and says, you really can't eat from every tree in the garden. Jesus said in John ten ten, 10, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Psalm 16, verse 11 says this, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is our God. Yes, may I say he is the God of pleasure real pleasure. He is the God of life, real life, and abundant life. And Satan comes along and says, has God really said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And it casts doubt on God's generosity. It casts a doubt on God's goodness. It casts a doubt that God wants you to experience real pleasure from His abundance. He wants you to experience doubt that god really wants you blessed he wants you to experience doubt that god really wants you to enjoy his life see satan tries to get us focused on the one tree we can't partake of and eating of that tree means death satan tries to move us away from feeding on the tree of life which is jesus and to try to get us to live out of our own life Oh, this is very important to understand. You know, Satan really, his interest isn't to get you to do this sin or get you to do that sin or, you know, that big sin over here or that big sin over there. Yeah, that's, that's the tools of the trade. What he's really after is to get you to live independently out of yourself and not out of Jesus. Second Corinthians eleven three says this, but I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. That is an amazing verse. May I read it to you again? But I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. 2 Corinthians 11.3 You see, that's what the devil's after. All All of his tactics, all of his strategies, all of his deceptions, everything that he does has one key goal to get you away from the simplicity of Jesus. That Jesus is everything you need. Oh, my friend, the most dangerous thing for you is to try to get good out of yourself. Good and goodness comes from God alone. That's what the Bible says. The Bible declares that God is good. You remember when the rich... Young ruler came to Jesus, Mark chapter 10. He went up to Jesus, not as God, but merely as a man, and said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus stops him short and he says, why do you call me good? There is none good but God. Jesus wasn't uh, uh, making a statement that he wasn't good, but he was attacking or he was going after that that rich young rulers thinking that 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 he could find good out of a man jesus himself said there is none good but god and my friend goodness comes from god alone only him goodness does not come out of you it doesn't come out of prayer it doesn't come out of you reading your bible goodness comes from god alone And the number one strategy that Satan tries to do is to get you to try to get good out of yourself. He's trying to get you to live out of yourself. He is trying to move you away from the simplicity that is in Jesus Christ. I only have a few more minutes today. And uh, I want you just to think about this for a moment. Think about Adam and Eve in the garden. Such a beautiful place. Think about the Lord saying, freely eat of any tree. My, there was no tragedy in the garden. There was no wrong. There was no sin. And yet Satan comes in and he says, did God really say? This cloud comes over this perfect garden and they're led astray. You see, if he could do that with two people who had no sin consciousness and no sin nature, that is what he tries to do with you. He tries to get you to believe that God is not good, that God doesn't really want to bless you, that God doesn't really want to do good to you, and therefore you need to find it somewhere else. And that is exactly why Christians sin. It's on that point of deception. Well, next time, we're going to be talking about Satan's key strategy. And again, in this series, Living in the Reality of Perfect Sanctification, we are trying to, at this point, address the question, then why do Christians sin? And as we conclude, I'd like to uh, just take a moment and pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness, and we thank you for your presence with us. Thank you that we have such a great salvation, that in Christ we have... We have all. We have new life. We have a new nature. We're made a new man. Father, we thank you that our justification is perfect. We stand in perfect right standing because of Jesus and who he is being in him. We have perfect sanctification. We have been made holy and already fully set apart because of him. And Father, I thank you so much that the truth is you are good And you are good toward us. Teach us, Lord, by the Word and by your Spirit to help us to simply go to Jesus to rest in this finished work. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.